Well, if you brought your Bible with you this morning, I want you to go first of all to the book of Matthew chapter 13. And while you're looking for Matthew 13, I'm going to remind you of where we've been over the last several weeks in a series we've been calling Guarding the Heart. Somebody say, my heart heart. is worth guarding. guarding. Proverbs chapter 4 in verse 23, Solomon is writing, speaking to his son, and he said, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Listen to it again from some of these other translations. The New Living Translation says, guard your heart. So when he said keep it, what he was saying was guard it. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Every time we go over this, it hits me in a new way. Your heart, my heart determines the course of our lives. So wherever you are in life right now, you want to know how you got there? Your heart got you there. Your heart has brought you to the place where you are. And there's a lot of people that are quick to give their education the glory for it, quick to give their upbringing, quick to give their connections, their relationships, all the credit for where they are in life. But the truth is your heart has brought you to where you are. And if there's something going on in life that you don't like or you don't like the place you're in, That's not the time to start questioning and blaming everyone and everything else. What do you do? You start looking inside. Lord, show me what's going on in my heart. Because your heart's brought you to where you are and your heart will take you to where you're going. He said, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. The Young's literal translation said, above every charge, keep thy heart. For out of it are the outgoings of life. And again, the God's word translation, guard your heart more than anything else because the source of your life flows from it. Listen to these words, guard your heart more than anything, more than anything, more than anything else, guard your heart. Because he said your life comes out of it. The, the issues of life, like an issue or a well of water, like a spring of water, it's coming up out of your heart. And if what's going on in the heart is toxic or if there's contamination, something going in there that's not pure and not right, it's going to affect everything else in this life. But on the other hand, if what's in here is clean and it's pure, guess what? Everything else is going to be right. Can you see now why he would say, guard it, protect it. Keep it more than anything else that you guard. Then if you back up to the verses leading up to that, Proverbs chapter four, verse 20, he said, my son, give attention to my words. I can almost hear my own dad saying this to me. Jeremy, there's a lot of voices out there. There's a lot of people talking. There's a lot of words you could listen to. He said, come on, pay attention to mine. And as parents, we have to do that with kids sometimes, don't we? You're you're talking to them and all of a sudden their eyes just start to wander and you can see it. The mind is wandering. I think we have a leak in the roof. Does anybody else see that? All right. If we need a bucket in a minute, somebody bring me one. Speaking of being distracted, he said, pay attention to my words. You ever had to say that to your children? Come on, pay attention. What did I tell you? What am I saying to you? Get your eyes and get your ears off of all these other voices, off of every other distraction. He said, my son, pay attention. Give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Listen to these words. Keep them in. Keep them in. This is what a guard does. And this is what we've been finding out over the last several weeks without even really intending to do that from the beginning of this. We're finding out what the the function and the assignment of a guard stationed at the door of your heart, what that guard does. He said, keep the words in. Now we think of a guard as somebody who keeps things out and that's right. That's true. But that's not their only job. A guard is also assigned to keep things in. Don't let in what's not supposed to be in there and don't let out what's supposed to stay inside. 
So a guard, you and I have got to guard our hearts, keeping in what's supposed to be in, keeping out what's supposed to be out. If you go back and look at what we've talked about over the last several weeks, we've identified things that have no business in the heart of a child of God. Worry, anxiety, fear for the future. These things do not belong inside you. Are you hearing me this morning? So you keep those out, but how do you keep those out? By keeping peace in. What did the scripture say? The peace of God would guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Peace in, worry out, right? We talked about a number of these things, but we've ended up in the book of Matthew chapter, chapter 13, which is the same thing you see in Mark chapter four, Luke chapter eight. Jesus is telling the parable of the sower. And I'll read it to you once again, Matthew chapter 13. Uh, beginning in verse three, the last part of this verse, he said, behold, a sower went out to sow as he sowed some seed fell by the wayside. The birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched and because they had no root, they withered away. He said, some or some seed fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Now, so far, this seed, whatever this seed is that this sower is sowing, has been sown three times, and it's failed to produce anything. Now, if you weren't aware of of the kind of ground or the significance of the ground, you might be tempted to think, something's wrong with this seed. I've sown this sucker three times, and it has not produced anything yet. But that's not where Jesus stopped. He said in verse eight, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the moment this seed fell on good ground and it actually produced something, that's the moment you know nothing wrong with this seed. Can you say that? Nothing wrong with the seed. Nothing's wrong with the seed. So what does that lead you to believe? If it didn't work before, it wasn't the seed's fault. Nothing wrong with the seed. So now you got to go back and find out why didn't it work? It was the ground. It got sown on a ground that wasn't cooperating with the seed. And what you find out from Jesus as he begins to explain this parable, number one, he said, the sower sows, anybody remember? The word. The word of God. He said, this is the seed. And we've talked about it. Everything God does in this life, he does through seed. That's what everything in this world started as a seed, including you, including me. We started this life as a seed. And the miracle of the seed is within it is everything that it will become. Everything that it has the potential to be. And that really starts to stand out to you. If you've ever gone to see some of these trees in Northern California and up the West Coast like that, these, some of these giant redwood trees that stand, what is it, two, 300 feet high or something like that? Giant trees, 90 or 100 feet all the way around. You know that whole thing used to exist in a seed? That whole thing was in a seed. But the Bible says you and I have been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but of a incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. That's the big difference between this seed and every other seed in creation, including the one that you were in. Every other seed is corruptible. Every other seed is fallible. Every other seed will eventually decay. Not this one. This one is ever living. This one is undying. This one is incorruptible. And it has within it the potential to produce salvation, the the potential to produce the healing of your spirit, your soul, and your body. This one has within the seed the ability to produce restoration, the ability to bring joy and to bring peace. All this stuff is in the seed. So the question is, why is it not working? If the seed is supposed to be producing all this in my life, Why am I not experiencing it? Why am I not seeing it? And it's a good question. 
It's a good question that's been answered in a wrong way and a bad way throughout history. And most people, religious people, will chalk it up to the sovereignty of God. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. We don't know why God chooses to do this for some and not for others. Some he heals, some he doesn't. Some he delivers, some he doesn't. Why? Uh -huh. Is there anybody else that's just radically dissatisfied with uh? -huh? Don't just swallow that pill. Find out from the word. You want to know why it wasn't working? Ask Jesus. He's telling us, but here's the, here's the big truth. Here's what you've got to get. Nothing wrong with the seed. It's not the seed's fault. It's not the, a problem with the seed. Okay. So if it's not the seed, where do we go next? The ground. And when you look at the, all the grounds Jesus was talking about, these are all people. More specifically, these are hearts. He's talking about the word being sown into people's hearts. And if it's failing to produce, again, is it a seed problem? No, something's going on in the heart. And we looked at it last week. He said some seed fell by the wayside. You remember what that is? It's that hard packed ground. It was basically the first century equivalent to concrete. It'd be like trying to sow seeds in a parking lot. It's just not going to work, man. Why? Because hard ground can't receive it. And without taking time to go back through all of it, what he was saying there was, this is, these are people who hear the word and they don't understand it. They don't, they, it doesn't sink in. Have you ever said that before when you don't understand something? I don't know, man. That's just not sinking in. I'm not seeing that. Well, that's what he's talking about. But again, spiritual things, the things of God are not mentally grasped. They're grasped and, and they're received by the heart. This is where it's got to start. But if the heart is so hard that the, that the seed can't sink in, Jesus said Satan comes immediately and steals the word. And if he steals the word, he has stolen from you all of the potential that was within that seed. And what Jesus was saying to us is people who don't honor this, people who don't value it, they don't understand the value of it. Satan comes and steals it from them and it's like they never heard it. And that right there is most of the rest of this world. Much of the world are people who have no time for what you and I are doing right now. People who put no value on these things people who have no respect for God or the things of God. It's so funny to me though, isn't it? That the, our critics, the people who criticize us and persecute us for what we believe. Oh yeah, well, if there's a God, why this and why that? And why hadn't it happened in my life? It's like, okay, so you, you wanna be able to curse him and still get all the good stuff that he has. You have no value for him, you have no time for him, and yet you're mad at him because he's not doing these things in your life. It's a little bit twisted, isn't it? And, and, and people, they lack so much understanding. How could, if there was a God, and if he was such a loving God, how could all these things be happening around the world? Well, it goes back to this. How many of all these people have any value for him, have any time for him, who have actually let his word sink in? He's not obligated to do anything for anybody beyond faith or outside of faith, outside of them putting value on his word. So that's what we talked some about last week. But look at this next kind of ground. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, he said, some seed fell on stony places. Now I have to give you kind of a disclaimer and a heads up right here. Some of what I'm about to say to you I've never said before, I've never seen before the last couple of days, and I know where we're headed. And just as a quick heads up, it might get loud. I'm telling you what you and I are about to see today. It thrills me, it excites me, and if you will open up your heart to see it and receive it, there are life-changing truths in what you and I are about to dig in today. So forgive me if I get a little fired up. It's the fourth. 
There might be, there might be some indoor fireworks today a little bit, if you can handle it. Jesus said here again, some seed fell on stony places. Now, don't let that paint a picture in your mind of ground with a bunch of rocks on top. What he's actually talking about, and you'll see it here in a second, is ground that's shallow earth with a layer of stone just beneath it. Stony places. He said some seed fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. See, there you see it. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. So all of a sudden you're starting to see what the problems are with this ground. It's different than the wayside ground. That ground was hard. That ground was packed. This ground's different. It's got some earth, just not much. It's got some dirt, but it ain't deep. And he said they sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root. They withered away. Why didn't this word produce what it was capable of producing in their life? They had no root. Now, Jesus explains this in verse 20. He said, he who received the seed on stony places is he, uh, this is he who hears the word, I love this, and immediately receives it with joy. Woo! Now listen, that's a good thing. This is already miles ahead of wayside ground because wayside ground were people who didn't understand it, didn't value it, and check this out, did not respond to it. That's the big thing right there. Your whole life is determined, what do we say? By your heart. Or you could say it like this, your whole life is determined by how your heart responds to the words you've heard. Your whole life is a response. That's what faith is. It's a response. It's a response to the words you heard. And when you responded in faith and made Jesus the Lord of your life, your whole life was headed this way, took a hard right, and now you're heading in the right direction because of your response. Everything's a response. See, wayside ground, totally unresponsive. So hard that they didn't respond. And Jesus was not thrilled with people like this. He asked some of the religious leaders one day, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And it says they kept silent. And the Bible says he looked, at, looked around at them in anger at the hardness of their heart. How'd he know their hearts were hard? No response. They kept silent. But these people are different. These people hear the word and what they do? Received it with joy, man. Got excited about it. Yes, amen, preacher. Man, I grew up in church. I've heard people shout stuff at preachers all my life. Somebody preaching along and they like what they hear. Come on, say it. Maybe you didn't grow up in the church I grew up in. But they holler at preachers. Amen, that's good. Say that, preach it. Sarah and I were in a church service a long, uh, long time ago, years ago. There was a woman sitting behind us, and every time she liked something the preacher said, she'd shout out, that's delicious. <laughs> that's delicious. And she said it over and over and over. She just back there tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. That's delicious. What is that? That's receiving it with joy. And that's a good thing. That's a response. And it's a good response. And yet there was a problem. He said, again in verse 20, he who receives seed on stony places is he who hears the word, that's good, immediately receives it, that's good, with joy, that's right. Verse 21, though, here's the problem. Yet he has no root in himself. He has no root in himself. God's not looking for an amen corner. God's ego is not stroked by you and I shouting amen, good word. Now, as your pastor, you hear me say this over and over. Come on, say amen, respond to it because you need to hear you respond to it. But how many of you know that response is supposed to last longer than right now, right this second? You got to carry that with you, 
right? It's got to leave the building with you. It's got to get in the car with you. You got to be stirred up about it on the way home. You got to be stirred up about it when you get home. You got to be stirred up and excited about that word when you go to bed. You got to be in faith about it when you get up. You got to have that same joy as you go throughout the day. How many know it's a lot easier to sit up in here and go, oh, amen. That's good. Preach it. That's delicious. And then you step out in the so-called real world with a little pressure around you. And then what happens to your joy? Are you still responding to the word or now are you responding to something else? Because Jesus said, this is a problem. He had no root in himself. Here's the issue, but endures only for a while. He endures, but not for very long. You look some of these words up and it literally means for the occasion. It's like getting dressed up for the occasion. And you might look good while you're there, but when you get home, what happens to all those fancy clothes? Man, you lose those and you put something else on. Why? Because it's for the occasion. And that's fine if you're talking about that. Not okay when we're talking about how you handle the incorruptible seed of the word of God. It is not enough to be excited for the Sunday morning occasion. It's not enough to receive it with joy and not leave the building with it. He said he endures only for a while. Well, why did he stop? What what, what happened? Listen, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, listen, immediately. You hear that? immediately, right away. Just a moment ago, he was all stirred up about it, shouting, amen, that's good, preach it. But immediately when tribulation shows up, you know what tribulation means? Trouble. Just means trouble. It also can mean pressure. Tribulation is trouble. It's pressure. So if it's tribulation or notice what else he said, persecution. So these two things Jesus identified as things that come to talk you out of what you were just so excited about. Tribulation, trouble of any kind, and persecution. Somebody showing or demonstrating hostility towards you. Somebody speaking ill of you. He said, when these things show up, because this person had no root immediately like that right away. Didn't take any time at all. What happened immediately? He said they stumbled. Now this is interesting. Let the words paint a picture in the King James Bible. Jesus said immediately, you ready? They're offended. They're offended. Now I don't know that we have a full concept of what offense is, or how nasty it is, or how dangerous of a trap it is for us as believers, we need a guard. Come on, I said we need a guard. A guard to do what? To keep that trash out. Offense should have no place in the heart of the believer. Notice what happened. Somebody heard the word. And man, they heard it and it got them excited, stirred them up. They said, that's, that's good, man. That's my answer. Did you hear that word? I'd never heard that before. That, that just turned the light on for me. They get excited about it. They receive it with joy. So Satan's already failed to steal the word from them. He couldn't steal it just by taking it because they responded to it. Whereas other people who didn't even respond, Satan just comes along and says, I'll take that. And it's like they never heard it. But here you got people who actually heard it and responded to it. So when just trying to steal it didn't work, now what's he doing? He shows up with tribulation, which is trouble. Like I said, it's also defined as, listen to these words, pressure that drives away. Pressure that drives away. So what Satan's trying to do, and you have an enemy, and this is what his whole game is, to try to drive away, try to put some space and distance between you and this word that'll bring you life. 
And that's offense. Because the word offense itself literally means to stumble. It literally means to fall away. Have you ever heard of two people who they were close, but then they had a falling out? You want to know why we use those words falling out? Because that's literally the definition of offense. Let it paint a picture. They're close, right? They're close, but something got between them. Difference of opinion, difference of expectation. And all of a sudden, whatever it was, could have been little, but it grew over time. And now these two who were close have had a falling out or a falling away. And you notice what happens the further they fall away from each other? Space, distance. Where they were close, now they're disconnected. And Jesus said, these people who hear the word, they receive it with joy, but if they don't have a root, they will immediately get offended. He said, these people are so easily offended. Now go back to what the problem was with the ground. What was the problem? Shallow. Shallow ground. Isn't that what he said? They did not have much earth. Now we think of shallow people as people who are all surface, right? So consumed with natural things, material things, how I look, what I have, and what you think about how I look and what I have. And it's, a, it's all surface. It's a total, being totally and completely consumed with self. And that's how we think of shallow people. And it's right, but God thinks of shallow people. You want to know what God thinks is ultimately a shallow person? Somebody who's so easily offended. God calls that shallow. Shallow. And if you think about it, it's the same thing. To be offended and easily offended is because you are so consumed with you. How you feel about what they said. How what they said made you look. And it's this total consummation, being totally consumed with me, self, how I feel. And you and I are living among the world record holders of most easily offended. I don't know how you'd measure this, but I'm just going to go out and say, I think we probably have in our culture and society today, the most easily offended people that the world has ever seen. Congratulations. Have you noticed it? How quickly people get offended? And, and we use that term, don't we? They wear their feelings on their sleeve. It's all right there on the surface. No depth, very shallow. And it's like people just live at all times about a half a step away from being offended. You said what? I'm offended. You said what about my people? I'm offended. I'm offended. I should be offended, right? You said what about my race? You said what about my color? You said what about me? You said what about my family? You said what about my gender? I'm offended. And if you've, have you noticed that people... They're looking for it. You've got people whose full-time job is to look for where they can be offended. And what's, what's so sad about it is that these people are training up a generation coming underneath them to believe that if these people don't acknowledge you, if these people don't validate you and what you think and how you feel, then not only could you be offended, you should be offended. It's right for you to be offended and you need to fight for your right to be offended. And you need to tell everybody else that until they think like you and believe like you and talk like you, that we're going to cancel you. I'm offended. Canceled. I'm offended. Canceled. Why are you canceling me? Because I'm offended. I'm offended. And what's so dangerous is we're training children to believe that they need the validation of People they'll never know. Perfect strangers. And we're training them to believe you're incomplete 
If you don't have their words of affirmation, if you don't have their approval on your life, you're not complete. And the kid looks back and goes, but I don't know them. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. How easily offended we've become. Now, here's the deal. That's them. Folks, they ain't in church today. Can I see the hands of those that are in church today? You want to know why? Because we need this. This has no place in the heart of a Christian. To be so quickly and easily offended. I mean, I stand amazed. Just in the last, well, in our experience of ministry, and we haven't been at it that long, how I've seen and we've seen people just so quickly, so easily get offended with you. I mean, people that you bring in close and you give them place in the ministry or you give them place in your, in, in your organization and, and you, you, you call on their help and you help their family and you invest in them. I know of folks we, we've given tens of thousands of dollars to help them get in, in a home for their family when they couldn't afford it. And, and days later, they're gone. Offended because of what, some correction we had to offer or something we said or the, the way we said it. And then when you come back to them days, weeks, months, years later and say, listen, let me help you with this. This is offense. Something's got between us. We were close. Now we're not. And they want to fight for their right and say, no, 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 I'm not offended. Quit telling me. I'm, we've literally had people get mad at us and say, quit telling me I'm offended. And it, it almost makes your head spin how quickly and how easily it happens. What's the problem? No root. No root. See, the root of a plant or a tree acts like an anchor. It's an anchor in the ground. But if, you, if, it's, if it's shallow ground, again, what is a shallow person in the eyes of God? Someone who is so easily offended. That's what God calls shallow. It's not because they don't pontificate life's great mysteries. It's not because they don't think so deeply. It's not because they don't have PhDs and doctorates in this and doctorates in that. It's not because they didn't you know, go to this Ivy League school. That, none of that has anything to do with the way God seeing somebody is shallow. You could have all that stuff. And if you're easily offended, in the eyes of God, it's shallow shallow. What's the opposite of shallow? Deep. So in the eyes of God, somebody who's deep is not just somebody who thinks deep or talks so deep and poses challenging questions. None of that means anything to him. You know what? You want to know what a deep person is to God? Somebody that's got some roots. Somebody that's given him enough time to let the word not just get in, but take root. We've got to have some roots about us. We should not be so easily offended. And we should not be so surprised when the world around us is. It's the world. They have no root. You're supposed to have some roots. You're supposed to have something that goes down deep. And you should not need everybody else's words of affirmation. You should not need the unbelieving world's uh, confirmation on your faith. Up, yeah. oh, they quit saying Merry Christmas. I'm not shopping there anymore. Am I telling the truth? Are we so easily offended? Oh, I went to church and they did, I didn't like what pastor said. I didn't like the way they said it today. Folks, if you're looking if you're looking for offense, guess what? You'll find it. It's, it's one of the easiest things to find if you're looking for it. And I know we're in the beginning days of this church and we've got a lot of people that are coming and excited about it. And Sarah and I are getting word on a real regular basis. And even around town, people telling us, man, we're so excited, so excited to be a part of the church. And that thrills us. But let me just give you a quick heads up. Trouble's coming. This is what Satan does. There will be opportunity for you to let something get between us. 
Because Satan will identify anything that is, number one, a God connection in your life. Anything that brings life to you and causes life to flow through you, he'll be quick to try to get between you and it with offense. Jesus talked more about this. Go to the book of John chapter 15. While you're looking for that, I want to couple with what we've already said, what Jesus said in Luke chapter eight. He's telling the same parable here, but he used a little bit different words to describe this ground. He said in Luke chapter eight, verse six, he said, some fell on rock and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. It lacked moisture, which is essentially what he said in Matthew 13. He said the sun was up and it scorched it. The sun was up and it scorched it and it withered away. And that's what Jesus equated tribulation and persecution to. Trouble, pressure in your life, or persecution from an unbelieving world. Jesus said, this is heat. This is like the heat being turned up. Are you familiar with the expression, if you can't take the heat Get out of the kitchen. Well, what are they talking about? Hey, man, pressure's on. Pressure's coming. And Jesus said tribulation, pressure that tries to drive you away, persecution, hostility, and people speaking ill of you from an unbelieving world. This is heat. This is like the sun coming up. And yeah, you heard the word and you got all excited about it. You did a little dance and you received it with joy, but then the sun came up the next day and the heat got turned up on you a little bit. And because you lacked moisture, you weren't getting watered and there was no root, he said it withered away. Now, Jesus said in, in John chapter 15, I won't take time to read all of this. It's all so good and so powerful, but you see some of the same principles. In John chapter 15, that's Luke. There's John. I knew you were in here. John chapter 15, in the first several verses of this chapter, Jesus is talking about some of these same things and these same things. And he said, if you're going to bear fruit, he said, you're going to have to abide in me. You're going to have to stay, stay connected. And the picture he painted was of a, a branch abiding in a vine. If that branch is going to have any fruit on it, how many know it better stay connected, right? It's got to stay connected to the trunk because the trunk's connected to the roots and all the life flowing up out of those roots. It flows up that trunk, up that vine, down that branch, and it will eventually in an overflow of life produce fruit unless... Are you listening? Unless something comes between the branch and the trunk, which is why you've never been walking along the road and seen a big stick laying on the ground with a bunch of red ripe apples hanging on it because that branch doesn't have any ability in and of itself to produce anything. It's got to stay connected to the trunk. Because that's where all the life is. And Jesus said, you have to abide in me. You abide in me. You abide in my words. The word abide literally means stay. Stay connected. Don't let anything get between you, the branch, and him, the vine. Don't let anything separate you because this is where all the life is coming from. And then he said to them, uh, later in this same chapter, he said in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Then he said to them, uh, verse 17, these things I command you that you love one another. Now listen to verse 18. If the world hates you, what's Jesus saying? Trouble's coming. The heat's getting turned up and he knows this better than anybody because he's just days away from the cross, right? And he said, the heat's getting turned up. If the world hates you, he said, if the world hates you, and they will, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, can I see the hands of anybody in here who just really enjoys being hated? <laughs> Nobody likes that. 
Nobody likes people saying stuff about you. Nobody likes people ragging on you and dogging on you. Nobody likes being hated. Nobody gets joy out of being hated. But Jesus said, it's coming. Tribulation, persecution. They're going to hate you. Jesus, I don't want to be hated. I want to be liked. I want people to like me. See how nice, see how likable I am? He said, it's coming. And you're going to have to decide. Are you willing to be hated? He said, if the world hates you, it's because it hated me. He said in verse 20, remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, if they did what? Persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. These things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. Skip ahead to chapter 16, verse one. He said, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be offended. Offended. He's telling you, you're gonna have to stick with me. You're gonna have to abide. You're gonna have to stay connected. Don't let anything get between me and you. You know that word you got all excited about and you shouted over and you rejoiced and mm, that's delicious and you got to have to stay with it. You're going to have to let it go down deep. You're going to have to let some roots develop. And he's saying, I'm telling you this so that you're not going to be offended. I love what he's doing here because he is, he's given you and me fair warning. It's coming. It's coming. The hatred of the world is coming. Persecution, tribulation is coming, but you're going to have to have some roots. If you're not going to be offended, you're going to have to have some roots. Can you take just a couple of more minutes of this? You're pretty quiet today. You doing okay? Just letting those roots go down. Somebody say that's delicious. Thank you, Lord. These things I've said to you that you should not be offended. Jesus said the whole problem here is they lack moisture. You know that seeds can't grow unless they're watered. The big problem that we have in the church, out of the church, believers, unbelievers, is that people are looking to be watered from, a, from all around them. Water me. Water me. Come on, water me. I'll flourish if you water me. I'll grow if you affirm me. Water me. And when you don't or when somebody doesn't, tell them what they want to hear. I'm, a, I'm offended. I'm out of here. Canceled. Water me, water me. And they're looking for everybody else to water me. Tell me what I need. Tell me what I want to hear. But Jesus said the seed doesn't grow when it lacks moisture. I want to read this to you. You don't have to turn there, but look at uh, on the screen for me. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse five. See, shallow people are looking for everyone else to water them. Because this thing has no roots, so all their moisture has to come from above the surface. Shallow people are looking for everyone else to water them. They don't have any roots, so they have to get all their moisture from the surface, from constant compliments and affirmations of others. When they don't get from them what they're looking for, immediately they are offended. Listen to me. You need a guard. Keep that trash out. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. Just hang tight. It's about to get good. Listen to it. Thus says the Lord, cursed. Yikes. That was a rough start. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man. What does he go on to say? Look at this. And makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. I believe I could safely answer for you that there is nobody in here interested in living a cursed life. 
right? Who's cursed? The man who makes flesh or makes man his strength. As long as you are dependent on everybody else around you to give you what you need, to water you, water me, water me, water me, tell me good things about me, compliment me, affirm me, tell me that how I am is right, tell me that what I think is right. Yeah, I know it doesn't match or line up with the Bible, but you tell me anyway that I'm right and that I'm good and that you believe what I believe and water me and water me and water me. You're looking to man to be your strength. You're looking to flesh to be the source of what sustains you and what keeps you. You're looking for all of it to come from up above the surface. But guess what? The heat's on, man. The heat is on. The sun is up. And he said, cursed. Cursed is the man who trusts in the Lord, makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he, put this back up there. For he will be like a shrub in the desert. And shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. But listen to this. Listen to the contrast. Blessed. Blessed. Come on, I'm talking to you this morning. Blessed. Let me give you a real good working definition for blessed. Not cursed. Not cursed. Blessed. Spiritually prosperous, thriving, growing, flourishing, blessed. Who gets blessed? Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord for he. Oh, come on. Here it comes. This is what I, I've never seen this before. For he will be like a tree planted by the waters, which does what? Spreads out its roots by the river. He'll be like a tree planted by the water, spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear what? When what comes? When what comes? Who was here like four minutes ago? The heat's on. I'm telling you the persecution church. Listen to me. It's coming. It's coming. And it's getting turned up even in this nation in ways it never has before. The tribulation, it's coming because Satan comes to steal the word. Satan comes to get between you and what's bringing you life. The heat is on. And as long as you need somebody else to validate and confirm and affirm you and your beliefs and your life. Water me, water me, water me, said the little shrub in the desert. Water me, water me, water me. You will dry up and you will immediately stumble. It will not take long at all. And this word you shouted about and got all excited over, as soon as Satan just turns a little heat on, puts a little pressure on, in an effort to get you to drive you away and to get you to disconnect from what's bringing you life, immediately people get tripped up. No endurance, no root. Shallow. Shallow. Easily offended. But this guy, this blessed guy, Blessed is the man who trusts the Lord. I get my water from somewhere else. Blessed is the man who trusts the Lord, whose hope is the Lord. He will be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be, gray, will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Do you notice what's happening here? So heat has come. Sun's up. And this tree is experiencing all the same heat that that shrub's experiencing. And this tree's not getting any water from anybody. And yet, He's growing. She's thriving. She's producing fruit. What's the difference? Roots. And not just roots, but roots that are by this river over here. And all these roots are beneath the surface. You can't see it. But this tree has a secret. I get my water from somewhere else. 
I get my moisture from, I don't need it from you. I don't need it from anybody out here on this surface. I get it from down deep. I, get, I draw it from this river. And these trees that get planted by rivers of water, their roots go down so deep and they stretch and they reach and they find where that moisture is. You can't see any of this happening. And yet what's going on beneath the surface is this tree's just drinking it in, drinking it in. Oh, this is good. This is satisfying. Let the rain come. Let it go. I don't care if anybody else waters me. I got a source right here that's unending, ever flowing. This is is my source of moisture. And this is why in the middle of heat, this, this tree is just producing, producing, producing. Because he's not asking anybody else, will you water me? Huh? Will, will, will you water me? Tree, tr this tree with roots. Oh, thank you, Lord. That extend all the way to this river. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does will prosper. What's happening when that tree is just meditating in the word of God day and night, he's keeping it in. I'm not letting anything get between me and this word. Oh, it was a good thing to get excited about it when you heard it. But what about Tuesday at three o'clock in the afternoon? What about next week? What about next month when the heat's up a little higher? When you're experiencing a little pressure, a little trouble, huh? a little persecution, little something that's trying to disconnect you from that word, little thoughts. Man, are you sure this is working? Yeah, I know that was a good word. I know we all shouted about God's will to heal and provide, and I, but, but is it working? These little thoughts, huh? Little thoughts try to creep in. A little criticism here and there from some family that may not see it quite the same way you do. Maybe some from, from, from other people that, that aren't exactly pouring water on, on your plant. They don't affirm or reaffirm or confirm or validate anything you heard that day in church. And the whole world, it seems like, is against you. What about that day? The heat's coming up. The heat's being turned up. The heat's being turned up. But what's happening while this guy is meditating in the word day and night? Thank you, Father. Man, that word, Lord, that you spoke, I believe it. I receive it. Jesus is my good shepherd and he's leading me. Oh, I thank you for that word. Yes, Lord, I'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. I'll get my moisture and my, my, my food, my sustenance. It comes from you. What are you doing? You're tapping into that river. You don't need anybody else watering you because you got roots. You got roots. So this is, the, this is the question, and this is where we'll leave it. What are you rooted in? If you need roots... What are they? What are, what are the roots supposed to be? The book of Ephesians says in verse 16, musician, you guys begin to come up. Ephesians 3, 16, Paul is praying for this church and he said, I'm praying that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Now help me out. The inner man. Is that the part of you that's seen or the part of you that's unseen? Unseen. So your strength and my strength has got to come from somewhere else. It's not coming from above the surface. It's coming from somewhere else. He's, he's praying that you'd be strengthened through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. There's your root. I said, there's your root. 
that you'd be rooted and grounded in love. And if you're rooted in love, you're able to comprehend with all the saints what is the wink, uh, the wink, the width, length, depth, and height, and that you would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here's your root, the love of God, rooted in it, grounded in it. Now, don't think of that. I'm rooted in, in showing love to other people. That's not roots. That's fruits. Showing love is fruits. It's the fruit of being loved. Showing love is the fruit of the root of being loved. What are you rooted in? I am rooted in how much my God loves me. There's your root. And it doesn't require a bunch of deep thinking and hypothesizing about God and the existence of God and, and why are we here and what is our purpose? Here's your root. Here's, here's who God calls deep. He loves me. He loves me. And the more they water that, the deeper those roots go. He loves me. He loves me. He's for me. He's not against me. And you get so rooted and grounded in the fact and the truth that God is love and God does love me that when the heat is on and the persecution's coming and the tribulation's coming, you got roots. I said, you got roots. You got an anchor that's holding you in place. And you tapped into this river of love over here and it's feeding you. And all the while the heat's on, you're producing fruit. You're growing, you're thriving, you're flourishing. Why? He loves me. He loves me. Yeah, I don't know why the persecution's coming. I don't care. He loves me. He loves me. I don't know what the trouble's about. He loves me. He loves me. Those are my roots. And if you'll start with that as your root, It'll answer every other question. And even when you don't know the answer to the question, you come back to what you do know. Oh, I may not know about that, but I know this. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. And we got this picture of some, some young lovesick kid sitting out on a big hill of, of daisies. And he's sitting there and he's picking petals off one at a time. She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not. And he's going to allow this stupid flower to determine whether whoever she is, is in love with him. And he gets around to, she loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. And he jumps and runs to find her. Why? Because this now dead flower has told him she loves him. I'm going to tell you something. You could pick every petal off of every flower on every hill in all the world. And when it comes to the love of God, it is always and only. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Yeah, but I messed up, but he loves me. Yeah, but I sinned again. He loves me. He loves me. I don't feel his love. I don't care. He loves me. I don't see it. I don't care. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. And it's never he loves me not. Never know, not once, when you're rooted in it, when you're grounded in how much you're loved. Man, that answers a ton of questions, doesn't it? Yes. Did God put this sickness on me? Well, if you're rooted in love, then you know love wouldn't do that. L love's not a thief. Love's not a killer. Love's not a destroyer. He loves me, so that's not him. You see that Amen. being rooted in this answers all kinds of questions. Now, listen to this. This is it. I swear. I promise. Perhaps look in the book of Romans chapter eight. I don't want to be the only one shouting about this today. I've let you be quiet for like 30 or 40 minutes. You're about to shout. We got to get excited about some of this Romans chapter eight. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God who is for us, if God is for us, who can be against us? You know what the psalmist said? My God is for me. I trust in my God. What can man do to me? What, what can persecution do? What can tribulation do to me? I don't need to be offended. 
This, is, this keeps you out of offense. Do you know that your, your roots, if you're rooted in the love of God, this is how you keep offense out. The guard is at the gate of your heart to keep offense out and love in. This is a revelation of the love of God. What do we say to these things? If God's for us, who can be against us? What can man do to me? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He loves me. Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? God's not going to charge me. God's not going to accuse me. God's not going to condemn me. Why? Oh, come on. Why? He's got every right to. You guilty of the same stuff I'm guilty of. That woman that was caught in adultery, there was only one person out there that day who had any right to pick up a stone and throw it at her. There was only one without sin. And you know what he did instead? Freed her. Did not condemn her. Absolutely gave her freedom. So the only one who has any right to charge you, you know what he did instead? He justified you. Why? One answer. Why? Why'd he do that? Come on, I want to hear you say it. Why'd he do that? He loves me. He loves me. He said in verse 33, who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? Who is he who condemns? Who's going to condemn me? Is it Christ who died? And furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. If Jesus, who did all of that, if Jesus, who went to the cross in your place and died in your place and went to hell in your place and was risen again and sat you down with him in heavenly places after all that, is he going to turn around and condemn you for something? No. Why? He loves me. He loves me. He said, who, are you ready? Verse 35, who shall separate us? Who's going to get between us? Who's going to be able to pull this big old tree up by its roots? That's what this whole thing was about, right? Offense to separate you from what was bringing you life. Who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? He's going to ask you some questions. You answer them. Shall tribulation? Is this what we've been talking about all morning? Tribulation can't do it. If, if you are rooted and he loves me. Shall tribulation separate us? Distress? Persecution? Famine? What about this? What about nakedness? What about peril? What about sword? No, none of these things, he said. Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake, we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You are not a conqueror unless you're rooted in how loved you are. You don't conquer the persecution. When the heat gets turned up, if you don't have roots, immediately you stumble. Immediately you're offended. But that's not us. When you get rooted in how much you are loved, he said we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then people, you take that and it sounds like a good confession, right? I'm more than a conqueror. You're facing trouble. You're, the heat's on. You're facing tribulation, persecution. No, I'm more than a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror. More than a conqueror. I've got to say it 718 more times. I'm more than a conqueror. That's not a good confession. Do you know that? Here's a good confession. I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. If you disconnect that confession from the one who loves you, this is just positive affirmation and it's not doing a thing. But when you take it and plug it back into the power source, plug it back into the roots of how deeply you are loved, there's power in it. 
I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Stand up on your feet. When you get rooted and you get grounded in this truth right here, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. You got roots that are going down deep. And in the eyes of God, deep people, it's not about thinking deep. It's about loving deep. It's not about how deeply you think. It's about how deeply you love. It's about how deeply you know you are loved. Shallow people, to help me out with shallow people. What, what is that? That's being easily offended. I'm looking at some deep people this morning. Some people with some roots. Some people who can endure. Because listen to me, the heat's coming. It's being turned up as we speak. But if you'll be a tree, rooted in how much you're loved, tapping into the supply of that river, you won't even see when the heat comes. You'll flourish and thrive and prosper. Bow your heads, lift up your hands. Just say it again. He loves me. He loves me. My father loves me. Come on, let's say it with some boldness. He loves me. He loves me. My father loves me. Folks, that truth right there will set you free from condemnation. That'll set you free from guilt over the past, shame over sins and mistakes and shortcomings. My father loves me. And because he loves me, he's chosen to free me. I don't have to live in the prison of, uh, of, of shame and guilt and condemnation. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. Shout it out loud. I'm free. I am free. I am free because he loves me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just lift up your hands and worship. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.